You may be seated. Well, as, uh, as Chris just prayed, uh, we are going to be starting uh, the book of Jonah for the rest of the summer, or at least to late August. The next six weeks, we're going to be going through uh, the, book of, uh, the book of Jonah. Now, I expect many of you are probably familiar with this book, uh, and there's probably one major part of the book that comes to mind immediately. So, kids, I know that you're with us today. Uh, thank you for being with us. Um, kids, if you're here... This question's for you, and I would love a verbal answer. What, is the, what's the, what happens to Jonah in the book of Jonah? What was that? What happens to Jonah in the book of Jonah, kids? He gets swallowed by a fish. That's exactly right. That's what everyone's mind goes to when they think about the book of Jonah. Um, Tim Mackey calls this the vegetalization of the book of Jonah. Everyone thinks about the fish. Which um, can be a little unfortunate because the book isn't actually really about the fish. Uh, and one of the, perhaps a danger of the vegetalization of a book like this is that uh, one of the minor miracles can overshadow the major miracles that Jonah wants us to be observing throughout this book. And those major miracles have to do with God's, God's mercy that he shows both to the city of Nineveh, to the sailors, and to Jonah himself. Um, and so, uh, when I was growing up, I learned this song in a camp that, uh, that was meant to kind of differentiate between God's grace and God's mercy. And the lyrics went like this, grace is when God gives us the things we don't deserve. And I would go to the chorus, he does it because he loves us, over and over again. Verse 2, mercy is when God does not give us what we, the things that we do deserve. And then back to the chorus. Now, the purpose of that song was to kind of help young minds begin to grasp the fact that there is a real difference between God's grace and God's mercy, although they are very closely intertwined with one another. Now, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about God's mercy, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's something similar to that song. One of the reasons I'm glad we get to spend some time in the book of Jonah is that it's going to spend, uh, all of these chapters are going to spend time meditating on and showing us a story of the mercy of God. It's a nuanced vision of God's mercy. At times it's surprising. Uh, it's a mercy that's unpredictable. It can't be controlled by people. It invades the strongholds of unbelief. It tramples over false religiosity. So it's my hope that as we're, as we're going through the book of Jonah over these next several weeks, that our hearts and our minds would see the power of God's mercy. Perhaps God would give us the gift of being a little shocked and perhaps even properly scared of what the mercy of God could do, how it can dig up the sin inside of us and leave us with nothing but a, a wholehearted reliance on God himself. So as we go through these four uh, relatively short chapters, we're going to see God choose to bring pagan sailors to what looks like repentance and perhaps even worship of Yahweh. We're going to see a city that was built on blood and torture acknowledge their sin and repent. The king of that city will get this secondary hearsay version of a half-hearted sermon by an angry prophet, and he will choose to still repent and even command the entire city to pray to God. And we'll see a man, Jonah, employed by his government to be a spiritual advisor, a prophet, be so overcome, <laughs> excuse me, that's the... That's the king. He's overcome with grief. Jonah is overcome with stubbornness and anger. 
He's religious in all the annoying ways. He views his relationship to the Almighty God as very transactional. He thinks he's better than the people that he's supposed to go preach to. And God's mercy brings Jonah to the point of nearly dying and certainly wishing that he were dead in order to bring him to the end of himself and show him what God's salvation is actually like. So that is what the book of Jonah is going to be about as we go through these next or as we go through it these next several weeks. Um, and as we go through this uh, overview today, we're going to do an overview of all these chapters today. Uh, it's my hope that we would take two major concepts away from, from this book of Jonah as we go into the rest of it. The first, that we would marvel at the targets of God's mercy. And second, that we would be struck by the nature of God's mercy. We'd marvel at the targets of God's mercy and be struck by the nature of of God's mercy. And those will be our two main points today as well. My prayer is that we'd use those as guiding concepts for this book and that, the God, that God would give us the gift of, a, of an accurate and real version of what his mercy is like. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entire book of Jonah for us here. Uh, it is short, so buck, buck, buckle in. It is, it is longer than our normal reading, but I'm going to read it uh, so that we can kind of get a sense of the whole book and then we'll talk about those two main points. So, the book of Jonah, if you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah if you haven't done so already. We're going to read through the book. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. And lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. 
and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. and My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what, should become, what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plants. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. 
When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is God's word. Thanks for sticking with us through that. Now, some of you might know your Bible is organized by genre. Jonah sits in the midst of a section of minor prophets. Now, if you were part of our men's or women's Bible study this past year when we were studying Habakkuk, and Zephaniah was also studied by the men, then you know there's some unique aspects of prophetic literature that are present in these minor prophets. And one of those aspects is the format, especially of the beginnings of these books. The general format of the minor prophets is that the word of the Lord comes to the prophet, and then that prophet is responsible to take the word of the Lord to its uh, intended audience, which might be a person, typically in the people of Israel. It might be a group of people. It might be the entire nation of, of Israel, all of God's people. Uh, and for a really long time in Israel's history, it was this kind of communication, these prophets, including and, and the books of the law, this is how God spoke to his people. Um, so it is a bit unusual that Jonah receives a word from the Lord to go to a group of people that is not Israel. You notice that if you look back in chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord tells Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh. And Nineveh was one of the major cities in the kingdom of Assyria. Now, if you're uh, familiar with ancient history, you know Assyrian people were absolutely horrible, particularly their armies. Their soldiers were awful. They invented awful and grotesque ways to kill people who rebelled against them and then would kill people in those ways very publicly. So that when a city heard that Nineveh was, or excuse me, that Assyria was coming to take over, uh, they didn't want to mess with it. They would just, the, the, the idea was that they would surrender immediately to avoid being killed in this way. So it was a kind of psychological warfare that was paired with a lot of actual army might as well. And so that might give us at least a sense of why Jonah hears that God wants him to go to Nineveh and he immediately hoofs it to Tarshish. Right? He's probably a little bit scared of these people. In fact, God himself says that they're evil. This, this city's evil, which if you imagine from the, the perspective of the heavenly throne room, this is a tiny city that is here and gone in a moment. And their evil had become so great that it had risen up before the heavenly throne room, almost like a stench of wickedness. And it was going to get them all killed. So that brings us to that first point that I want us to look at today, which is the targets of God's mercy. And specifically, there's two targets that we're going to see in Jonah. How God's mercy targets the wicked and how God's mercy targets the self-righteous. Now, if you look at chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah does rise up. There's a split moment where you think he might be doing the right thing. And then he buys a ticket to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was literally the opposite direction of Nineveh. So this would be like if someone told you to go preach, in, preach a message in Miami, and you bought a ticket to Anchorage, Alaska, right? It's opposite ends of, at that time, the known world. Tarshish was on the sea 
Uh, and it was literally the furthest point kind of in the, in the mindset of, of, of this people. That was kind of like the edge of the world, the edge of the known universe in a sense. So at points like this, it's almost easy to kind of chuckle at Jonah, right? And see just, he's, he's being kind of ridiculous. And in fact, belligerently stubborn. Uh, and it's silly because he's a prophet of Yahweh, which means he knows. God made all of it. He made the sea. He made the land. He made the boat. All of those things are under God's sovereign control, and he made all of them. So it makes you chuckle a bit at his stubbornness and the, and the futility of what we see this man trying to escape. And as I mentioned, Jonah's kind of in this unique position of being an Israelite prophet who is sent by God to deliver God's word to a Gentile nation, a very violent Gentile nation. And even though this is unusual, the concept of God saving people who weren't from Israel is not unusual at all in the Old Testament. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. God chooses to bring those from other nations into the people of Israel. And he gives testimonies to his existence and his power, whether that's through creation, as Paul says. All people can see that God exists and that he's holy just from the world around them. Or he warns them through things like a prophet coming to warn them of their sin. This is how God's salvation works. He, he sends warnings to people, whether it's the created world or a sermon or a prophet. He gives the wicked a chance to hear that they are living in evil and to repent. And if he chooses to save them, they have no shot to get away from that mercy. They will repent, and they will be given mercy, because our God saves sinners. It's what he does. It's what he has always done. But Jonah wants nothing to do with that. He doesn't want to give this message to the people living in Nineveh, and although it may be partially because he's scared of being hurt or killed, uh, we know from chapter 4, if, if you caught that as we read it, we get a little more insight into the reason he runs the other direction. So if, read with me if you have your Bibles, chapter 4, verse 2. Speaking of Jonah. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God might bring those wicked people to repentance so that he could have mercy on them, not judge them for the sin. He knew God might forgive their sins. And this is where we come to one of the most important points, I think, in the book of Jonah, which is this. God shows mercy to the people who need mercy. God shows mercy to the people who need mercy. Mercy, which sounds wonderful at first, but when that someone or group of people is someone that might have hurt you or done awful things to people that you love, God's mercy can feel a bit more complicated. I'm sure there's people here and there who have other people in their life um, who you may want to be judged or punished by God. You may want them to have to pay for their sin. And the thought of God forgiving that sin or those sins can feel kind of hard. And the thought of your Savior, Jesus, taking those sins onto himself in order to bring that person or those people into your family can feel particularly difficult. God's mercy targets some pretty horrible people. And when horrible people repent, 
It is a glorious testament to the power of the mercy of our God. I expect many of us actually do understand that point. The Lord's been kind enough to show you the depths of your own sin, to show you a vision of what's inside your heart, then you know that his mercy to you is a glorious way that God glorifies himself. There's nothing that we have done that should save ourselves if we know what is inside of our hearts. And yet God did it because that's what he does. He saves sinners. There's another way that God's mercy targets people. It's not just for those who are lost in their sin, who have done wicked things. God's mercy also comes for the self-righteous. One of the main storylines of this book, it's not just the salvation of Nineveh. It's not the salvation of the sailors. It's not the fish. The main story in this book, I believe, is the long, drawn-out spiritual heart surgery of a very self-righteous prophet named Jonah. Now this book, is, as we read, you, you saw the book does not paint a very good picture of Jonah. He's angry, but his, his anger is not even at, like it seems, at the actual sin of the Ninevites. It's just at the fact that God might forgive that sin. Uh, seems like he might be a bit of an Israelite nationalist and kind of has this disdain for everyone else that he meets as he goes along. To the point where he'd rather die than see the Assyrians saved. He's got a, a, a decently strong victim complex. To round it out, he's got this kind of religiosity that makes him view his relationship with God as transactional. Now, at some point over the next several weeks, I I expect and I hope that many of us will realize that our hearts have a lot of overlap with Jonah's heart in a lot of ways. And because of this, because of all of us, well, because all of us have these same sins in our hearts, all of us are human. And all of us who are followers of Christ have to have this constant reminder that we do not deserve the salvation that we have been given. We're in need of God's mercy all throughout our lives if we are going to grow in our Christian walk. God's mercy is not a one-time transaction. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are at that moment justified. You have been made just and righteous before the Father. But you, we all need God's continual mercy because none of us have been freed from sin yet. None of us have been entirely cleansed of our sin. We've been cleansed before God, but we have not yet thrown off the things that that make us continue to sin in our lives. So my hope that as we go through this book, that we would see that God's mercy is active in all sorts of scenarios in our lives with the purpose of removing our idols, removing any hint in our hearts that we can act in a way that we deserve God's blessing and leave us in the very vulnerable position of being entirely at the mercy of God's mercy. This is going to take us to our second point that I want to cover as we look ahead to the book of Jonah, which is the nature of God's mercy. Uh, There's a great book named Les Miserables. You've likely heard of it. Um, The main character, Jean Valjean, leaves prison after spending... Uh, 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. He needs a place to sleep one night. He goes to stay with this bishop who kindly invites him into his house. The bishop's poor, only has very few things that are worth anything, a couple of candlesticks that are beautiful and a set of silverware. Um, and Jean Valjean, after receiving food and lodging, actually steals, steals the silverware at night, runs. He's caught by the police. They can figure out what's going on. They bring him back to the bishop and they ask him, did he steal the silverware from you? And the bishop says, no, it was a gift. 
And in fact, John Valjean, you forgot the candlesticks. That is a picture of mercy. Now, God's mercy never has to lie. God's mercy never lies about our sin. He knows exactly what we've done. We don't have to hide from that. But that picture of Jean Valjean not being justly punished for what he had done, that is a picture of what God's mercy is to us. All of us are deserving of God's punishment, and yet God chooses to withhold judgment for what we have done. That moment changed the rest of Jean Valjean's life. It was a powerful moment for him because he recognized very clearly what he had been given. That he was guilty, he deserved to go to prison, but that he had been given his freedom instead. I, I do wonder sometimes if our understanding of God's mercy feels to us more like a fact about God, a fact about his character, than it is this, uh, this overwhelming, dumbfounding gift that we've been given because we don't fully realize that we're in the exact same position as Jean Valjean was, that we deserve the punishments. And yet for those who turn from their sin and turn to Jesus for help, God still, even, even if we don't understand his mercy, God still chooses to extend that mercy to us. I think there's something really beautiful about the way God gives us in this book these two dual stories of his mercy, of his mercy to the people of Nineveh and his mercy to Jonah. Their experiences of God's mercy are very different, and yet we can understand both. We can understand what it means to need God's mercy as those living in our sin, and yet also to need God's mercy as those who are blinded by the sin in our own lives. Now, in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, there's a very important point that I want us to to kind of close with here. Jonah says this at the end of his prayer while he's in the middle of the fish, in in the belly of the fish. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a really important point that I want us to see. Part of what happens to Jonah, a large part of what happens to Jonah throughout this book is because God wouldn't allow Jonah to have a partial picture of his salvation. God wanted Jonah to know exactly what he's been saved from. And and to do that, he has to get a vision into his own heart for for what kind of man he is. And at the end of this statement, Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, I expect Jonah didn't actually realize this at the moment he said that, but verse 9 is is, is probably one of the most key verses for this book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah didn't earn salvation by paying to God what he had vowed to pay. The Ninevites didn't earn salvation in any way either. Neither of them were deserving of the salvation they were giving. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and the Lord gets to choose to whom he gives his salvation. Now, on this side of the cross, we know something that Jonah did not know, that our salvation would be a very costly thing to own. The expense required to purchase our salvation was the life of the Son of God himself. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and Jesus paid for it with his life so that he could own our salvation. So we don't own it. It's not ours. But... For those who have repented of their sin, those who have placed their trust in Jesus, who believe that Jesus is God, that God has raised him from the dead, 
you are guaranteed that salvation because it is built not on what you've done, but it is built firmly on the word of Jesus to us. If you don't know Jesus and hope that you've done enough good things in your life to outweigh the bad, then when the day comes when you walk before the judge, you'll be walking before a judge with the equivalent of saying, I, it's okay that I stole that stuff because I've been paying my taxes. It won't work. Not before an all-knowing judge. But before that judge, if we have placed our hope and faith onto our Savior, onto Jesus, then we know that we are guaranteed the salvation because he has promised it to us and that salvation belongs to the Lord. So as we go through the book of Jonah, I hope that our minds are drawn to this idea, that, that our eyes are opened to the beautiful wonder of God's mercy, that it is, that it is wild, it is very unpredictable, it is uncontrollable. We have no choice to whom God gives it, and yet to those whom God chooses to save, there is no stopping it. He will save whom he will save, and salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Jonah. We thank you that you have given us this book to show us more about yourself, to show us more of your mercy, to give us pictures of our own hearts as we look at the life and work of Jonah. And so, Father, do us, we ask that you would give us the gift of, of, of clear vision into what you are like. And Jesus, would you draw our hearts and minds to joy as we consider not only what you paid for our salvation, but also that you have given it to us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.